You're listening to the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for hockey talk covering every team in the NHL. New episodes every Monday. Download at thehockeypodcastnetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts from. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Daryl Sutter is a God podcast, podcast, podcast. Headlines. Let's see some headlines. This is the top three headlines today. If you Google uh, Calgary Flames news after making history, history, Markstrom and the Flames are still hungry to achieve more. History is not enough. We want more. Flames That's what I like to hear, baby. Flames bring winning ways home, extend streak to six straight victories. It's only been, what, two decades since they did that? <laughs> I guess they, they went on some hot runs midseason, but never to start the season. This is the best start we've had. I think it was two decades. I don't remember the date specifically, but they're rolling. Flames hot start is all about balance. You're, we're going to get into it today. We're spending a lot of time on breaking down what is happening because I think across the board, that's where Flames fans' heads are at. They're just like, is this real? Is this going to last? What's going on? So the best way to answer that question is try and break down how we got here. Why are we winning? So we're going to be focusing on Sutter quite a bit today. How are you feeling? I'm feeling great. I mean, I thought last night was going to be a was going to be a a good litmus test where this team's at because, like you said, most people are kind of at the is this for real? You know, not even is this team going to uh, be the best team in the Pacific Division, which I don't know if we all think that, um, and they're not going to win six games in a row every week. Um, but is this for real in the sense that will the old Calgary Flames appear at some point, right? Will they surface? I think what's going to happen is they're going to want to because the old Calgary Flames have never been coached by by someone like Daryl with as much – like we were just talking about this. Is he not the, the – he may not be a genius, but he is definitely brilliant. He's a brilliant hockey mind. He's the smartest hockey mind in the Calgary Flames organization, probably that's ever filtered through the Calgary Flames organization, in my opinion. At least top three, probably the best. Now, if you've been listening to this podcast for any length of time, you know that we've been of the belief that coaching has been coaching and management, a combination of both. And essentially coaching is a form of management has been this organization's biggest weakness under the Johnny Gaudreau, Sean Monahan era. You had Glenn Galdson followed by Bill Peters. They did have a great one season or Bill Peters, but the response to losing the playoffs 
proved that Bill, I think, was in over his head as well. Followed up by Dipshit McGee. <laughs> I still infuriated. Am infuriated. Well, we had it, to live yeah. and suffer through a year and a half of Jeff Ward. And it's even more infuriating when you hear like, because I remember we we kind of we 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 didn't think this sort of thing was going to happen because it happened sort of the blue, but. It was on our radar that the Flames management really wanted to hire Daryl Sutter. And it turns out that was actually the case earlier than when he was hired. I mean, even Chucky had talked about it. Um, and it was like, yeah, we had heard rumors that Daryl might be coming back like before he was hired. Right. So the, the biggest mistake this organization has made in, in the Bradshaw living era, I think we're both in agreement, is the absolute absurd decision to Make Jeff Ward the head coach heading into last season. Yeah, take the interim table uh, label off. Completely shit a season down the toilet. Completely shit a season down the toilet. Completely. And I think to go back to your question or whatever, whatever you brought up, they're going to want to – the old flames is going to surface because what you're going to hear today is what Daryl Sutter – this is like the main key – the key theme of Daryl Sutter, if you want to track everything he's been saying since he got here through the dips and valleys that we've had last season, we've, we, they had some struggles to now there's having success to laying the foundation and training camp. The main, the main, I would say the number one takeaway that he's stressing is they're learning how to play the right way. And we've, we've looked at guys like Rasmus Anderson. I think Sean Monahan throw him in that category as well. These guys are getting put through the ringer. And we saw it last season. They um, they struggled for what a Ted Gabe stretch there. Once Daryl took over, they came out hot, and then they struggled for a bit. Yeah. While everybody was adjusting, and Daryl didn't give a fuck. He didn't panic. He knew it was going to be a process. But what you probably were seeing there last season, while they played like dog shit, was during that adjustment, your it's kind of like burning out all the impurities, right? All the lazy aspects of the game. And, and it doesn't even have to be consciously lazy. It could just be due to bad systems and, you know, the five years of bad coaching we've had prior to this point. These guys, Daryl Sutter is the best coach any, well, maybe not any, but the core of this team has had as hockey players probably in their life because where had they played before NHL? You got to think that the coaching just gets more elite and better at each each level higher up you go. Daryl has to be the best coach these guys have played under. Well, imagine Matthew Chuck. It's like it's your you're in your second season, and Glenn Gulletson is your head coach. You're in your fourth and fifth season, and Jeff Ward <laughs> is the head coach. Yeah, if there was any rumors of him wanting to get the fuck out of here, I wouldn't blame him. But. I think what you're going to see is, yeah, there's going to be some tendencies trying to creep in, but I think Daryl's going to be just fucking, he's already three steps ahead of it. Well, and that's, yeah, he knows he's already preparing. He has these guys prepared. Preparation. Exactly. Attention to detail and right. And circling back to the original question is like, Hey, are the flames old flames going to reappear? I think last night, was a was a uh, a mark on the calendar that I think a lot of us, including myself, were interested to see. It's okay. Okay, you've won five. You just came off a killer road trip, right? Like, do you remember remember last season when Lucic just talking about how they played the first three games really well, and then 
Apparently, they just couldn't handle anything else and totally dipped from the rest of the season. Yeah, after that right? five-game break, they just couldn't seem to turn the rest of the 50 games around. Like, you've seen these games happen before. We'll, we refer to them as trap games where it's like, okay, the Flames should win this game. They're hot. They're rolling. They look like they're playing okay. And then they get, like, killed on the first game back off of, like, a successful road trip against a team who's tired and they should beat. And they beat them soundly. They beat their ass into the ground last night for three periods. How, like, that's, if that's not a sign of how things have changed under Sutter, I don't know what is. Because we've wow. seen that game play out before far differently, where they either are terrible, get blown out, or you're up one nothing for the majority of that game, and you end up losing that game, like, 2-1 or some shit. They played an almost perfect game last night. Yeah. And then he gets Sutter gets asked about it. You know, that whole concept of coming off a lengthy road trip back at home. Typically the first game back is a stinker. And his answer is, well, we we treated the last game of the road trip in Pittsburgh as a home game so that we could get it out of the way. <laughs> uh, holy shit, man. Like the this guy has these guys so prepared. And not only are I know he's preparing them one game at a time, but you know that he's he has an entire plan for the season rolled out in his mind. He's not he's only unleashing it on them one game at a time. But this motherfucker has the entire season planned out, I bet you. Oh, totally. And he wants to win the Stanley Cup. Yeah. He's, reverse, again, all, he's yeah. reverse engineering a Stanley Cup. Totally. Reverse engineering is a great way to put it because all of this. Everything that's happening, that's all I can think about. And I was talking about this previously, like using stuff like Blake Coleman's late game shifts that are so great. All of these things that, that Daryl's preaching, that Daryl's doing, how he's having this team play are in service of, okay, we need to, how are we going to win playoff games? Yep. And I mean, that's the first thing he said when he was hired. Why are you here? What convinced you to come back to coaching in the NHL? I want to win a Stanley Cup. That's it. He's not uh, Jeff Ward, just first shot at getting an NHL head coaching spot and just happy to be there. And, you know, if they get some success, he's happy. No. The benchmark is winning a Stanley Cup. We heard Chucky talk about this preseason. Daryl's been stretching, stressing every regular season game has to be a playoff game. What are these? Do these not look like playoff games to you? You're oh, absolutely you're 100%. So, you're so fucking stingy. Dude, that, the Flyers had like four shots through like 40 minutes last night. Are you kidding me? This is a team that's playing pretty well right now, too. Yeah. You're, you're so stingy. And then you just capitalize on, you know, a few of your opportunities. You, get, you go up one. This just reminds me of when you watch teams go on runs, come out of nowhere, like the 0-4 run. Even you look at Montreal last Last season, same thing. The games are tight. Oh, Montreal just scored. They're up. Holy shit, they're beating Vegas. Oh, my God, Montreal scores again. Again. Like, these look like playoff template games to me. And I know that that's part of the the plan. It's the plan. And, I mean, you have kind of like every – and I'm trying not – like, again, this season's still going to be a grind, and we're not going to get ahead of ourselves here, but – you look at all these different aspects that are huge. And BXA even talked about this last night, right? He, he was talking about like, what are the elements that in the past few seasons are, are usually pretty typical 
of a team that's successful in the playoffs. And he's talking about having a defense that is stingy as shit and big and strong and physical. And you have a goalie who's playing exceptionally well. And you have a team that's playing structured hockey. Those are like the three elements. What are we seeing right now? Like it's playoff hockey. It is 1000%. Um, and it's exciting to see. Now, I think if you're a fan and everybody is asking this, you say, okay, well, can we keep it up? If so, how long can we keep it up? I remember when, when we had Theo on the podcast and you know his, his description of playing under a Sutter. I don't think he played under Daryl, though, did he? He played under Brian. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit of a different comparison. I don't think it's yeah. necessarily apples to oranges because the game should arguably get easier under a system like Daryl Sutter where, yes, you have to – it might be a mental grind, but the more you buy into it, the easier physically it gets, if that makes sense. Whereas I think, you know, you can't put – any of the other Sutter's in the same category as Daryl when it comes to head coaching. Oh, he's the only one that's won a Stanley Cup as a head coach, and he's won two. So, yeah. So even though Theo was kind of saying that by the end of the season, you kind of hate hockey because <laughs> every day is a grind, but some of that's just personality speaking as well. But I don't think it's going to be necessarily the case. Look at how fucking happy these guys look. Winning cures everything, right? Like you talk to those LA Kings guys, right? Like, Apparently, by the end, it was tough to be around Daryl, right? But they looked pretty goddamn happy when they were up on the podium after winning two Stanley Cups. Yep. Winning makes people <laughs> makes it makes people happy. Kent Wilson said when we had him on that Daryl is a guy that has throughout his his career been able to get the absolute most out of his players. For a specific time, he said, sometimes it's, you know, only a few seasons and that might be the case of what we saw in LA, but you're starting to see it. You're starting to see that here. You're starting to see Daryl pull things out of guys that we haven't necessarily seen in the last five seasons. We're just, we're strictly speaking to the Johnny Gaudreau Monahan era because that's the era we're in, but the biggest difference, and this is what he's alluding to is, they're playing as a team. They're playing as a unit. They're playing together. That makes the game easier on each other. Totally. And I mean, when he's talking about playing the game the right way, he, he even said, like, you know, he said it's an adjustment for a lot of these guys, right? Like they're learning how to do this. Yep. And there it's an adjustment because they've never been taught before by any of these morons who've been coaching them. And maybe it's not fair to call them morons, even though that they pretty much are. <laughs> but when you're comparing them relatively to a, a hockey mind like Daryl, they're going to fall short regardless. But fuck, it's been painful. It has been painful uh, the last, <laughs> what, 20 years? <laughs> 20 years with like a, a five minute intermission in like the earth, the mid 2000s. So let's just hope this isn't a two minute intermission we're experiencing mm -hmm. now, but let's talk about sustainability because the other way you look at this, if you, if you're trying to figure out what's happening, we know on a macro level, we've touched on it. 
Daryl is turning this, this team into a team that can play really good hockey. And you already have good players. It's funny how he's reversing the narrative, right? Because the narrative of the last, what, three, four seasons has been, oh, these guys are gar- these guys suck. You have one of some of the top media guys in Calgary saying, oh, this group, will, this core will never win. Sean Monahill he'll never win. Uncoachable. He's too Uncoachable. lazy. He's too lazy and he's no coach can help this guy. They don't hate to lose enough. Yeah. They don't play with enough, enough emotion. Mm-hmm. It has nothing to do with Jeff Ward. Zero. Or Bill Peters in, 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 in ineptness as a head coach in the playoffs. That's fucking bullshit. You, we all knew it was bullshit at the time. That's why we called bullshit at the time. This is proving even more that it was bullshit. These are like now that it's funny. At that time, when when that narrative is the narrative being pushed, you look down the roster and you're like, okay, well, holy fuck. Maybe you do trade Chucky. Maybe you do trade Johnny. A lot of people wanted to trade Chucky last offseason. A lot of people wanted to trade Johnny the offseason before. Right. It's just like, I don't, we've, we've, we've talked about it. It's funny how the solution is always, oh, let's trade our best players. Yeah. But because now, they're lazy and can't win. Because they, they don't hate to lose enough. Yeah. Nothing to do with, uh, with team play, though. But now you're winning. You've won six in a row. What are we, seven? One, six, one, and one. Six, one, and one. Top of one. the division. <laughs> then you have that record, and then you look at the roster. You're like, holy shit. We can do some damage. We got Lindholm. We got Goudreau. We got Kachuk. We got Coleman. We got Coleman. We got Backland. Right? When these guys are actually doing stuff because the team's playing well. Got Markstrom. Right now he's the best Holy goalie in the world. shit. Right now he's the best goalie in the world. And I think Daryl has already proven to himself early on it's not going to be a one-man show. If you want to get the most out of Jacob Markstrom, you also use Dan Vladar. But I want you to break some of this down from an analytical standpoint because, like I said, we've talked macro in terms of what's going on huge change in in i guess it is a change in culture the way you approach the game on a daily basis what stutter is is instilling in these guys and what he's changing in these in these guys as a team that's all on a macro level but if you're looking at micro if you want to break down how he's doing that walk us through some of the analytical patterns that you're noticing because i think if you if you look at the analytics that's going to give you the best indication of, of how, sta- how sustainable this is over you get. Well, I think one of the main things, and you mentioned it, right, is like previously you kind of look up and down the lineup. You're like, man, people like want to trade Gaudreau. Like the, the Flames coaching staff and management has kind of always treated them as a top-heavy team, right? It's like, okay, we're going to rely solely on Gaudreau and Monaghan primarily over the past six years Yep, and Kachuk now. And that was kind of the strategy. It's like, ride those guys, right? It's like, Brad, oh, I believe in this group. Believe in this hey, group. Hey, Lindholm, 35 minutes a night. Yep. Yeah, Lindholm's playing 30 minutes a night, right? And like, the argument then you hear, like you said, from the media guys, these guys aren't good enough. And our response has kind of been like, yeah, they're probably not good enough to be uh, ridden in the fashion they're being ridden, right? Like, you can't, like, people complaining about Gaudreau's performance in the playoffs, like, Come like guys, five foot seven. What's he supposed to do on his own with no help when the GM won't go out and get him help? Right. So 
this the the philosophy has always been mistakenly this team is top heavy and Daryl's flipped that like one of the first things he said when when he was hired last last year was like we don't really have the top end talent right yep we don't have the top end guys that was and one it, of the the first narratives that he introduced and I know it was triggering it was even triggering for us yeah he's like we don't have the firepower to match up with the others we don't Right. And you hear that and you're like, yo, fuck we do. And then if you think about it, it's like, you know what? Maybe we don't, you know, like Johnny no. Gaudreau is a great player, but to rely on him solely in a role where he's going to carry the team through the playoffs is probably not going to work. So what he's come in and done now, and he, he's talked about this with Monaghan primarily is saying, you know, what, we're not a top heavy team. We need to spread it around a bit. And I think that's, you're seeing some of the results of that pay off so early in the season. Like, because why has Johnny Gaudreau been so dominant? Like, I mean, we were looking at some numbers before we jumped on here. Gaudreau and Kachuk have not been on the ice for a five-on-five goal against yet this season in, in eight games. Haven't been on the ice for a five-on-five goal against. That's insane. That's your top line. That's Johnny Gaudreau, who, how long has this guy been crushed for his shitty defense? The top two lines as, as a unit, Gaudreau, Lindholm, Kachuk, all three of them at the same time haven't been on the ice for a five-on-five goal against. The Coleman Backlund Pitlick group hasn't been on the ice yet altogether for a five on five goal against. So I think what you're finally seeing is there is some balance in the lineup based on how Daryl's rolling it out. And it's buttressing the responsibility of Johnny Gaudreau and Matthew Chuck. And not that they aren't relied on because they are for offense, but they can go out and do what they do. And I mean, Johnny's top, what he's top five in, in scoring. I know he leads the league in primary assists right now. Lindholm's Lindholm is second in goals. So you're seeing, you're seeing the, the wealth being spread a bit and it's allowing those top guys to go out and be dominant because they don't have to do fucking everything on every single shift. It's not like, I remember so many games last year where it's like, Oh, the flames got outshot 20 to three in the first period. Lindholm and Joe are now like every time they're on the ice case, like, Oh, you better score. or We're not going to even be in this game. Now they can just go out and play it and and and, and yep. do what they, they're supposed to do. They can execute their roles. Yeah. Because their role is not do everything anymore. Totally. And I mean and that I mean, yeah, you're right. That's one thing he has been stressing is and we I bring it back to this. When he says you're learning how to play the game properly, right? This is the way you have to play in order to win. What he's saying is what you're alluding to which is everybody has a defined role that all works together to help you win games. And when everyone buys into those specific roles and he, Sean Monaghan is, is a blatant example of it currently because he's on the fourth line and he's accepted his fourth line role for now, the guy is looking better, but Daryl Sutter knows cause he's done it. Once you, once you win something like this down the cup, you have a template, right? Like, oh, shit, I know how I look. You you reflect on it and say, I know how we won the Stanley Cup. This is how we did it. So he has he has a benchmark, a measuring point of what he knows what it takes to win. He obviously knows that he can win with his roster. Otherwise, he wouldn't have took the job. And what we've seen over the last, you know, whatever, half of last season into the beginning of this season is he's shifting everybody into what you were just describing into roles that are going to 
not only contribute to the team's success, but utilize each individual player's strengths. Yeah, he after the game last night, he's talking about Monaghan. Um, somebody asked him, like, how do you think Monaghan's responded to his change in role because he's gone from being a first-line player to playing with Lucic and Trevor Lewis? And Daryl says he's been awesome. He's got a great attitude and works hard. I've said it many times, including in the dressing room, we're not a top-heavy lineup. We've got to spread it out and have everybody accept their role. Yeah, the buy-in right now is unbelievable. And if you want to look at any success in the playoffs, you, know, you can always strip it back down. It's like the team is bought into playing together. Right? Well, and they, they bought into playing together because likely the system and how they want to play and the X's and O's and the fundamentals have been articulated. Like you, you were saying, the foundations have been set. It's not, hey, we lost, guys. Work harder. Be more emotionally engaged. That's it. Yeah, That's we've been struggling to be a 500 team for two seasons. Just keep trusting that system. It'll pan out. Yeah, it's like nobody seems to know how we're actually supposed to play. We're just supposed to work really hard and have lots of emotion, and then the results will be there. It's like, it's like no, you need the foundation. You've said this before. And then things like the extra added emotion, the, yeah. the extra push to work hard, that, that's secondary, and that's what can actually win you a lot of games. The foundation has to be there first. Yeah, what a ridiculous statement otherwise. And that's what we've heard from the media. It's an 82 game. All these guys say that it's a fucking grind. Oh, yeah, just uh, up your emotion for 82 games. Not even the media. That's what the coach of this fucking team said 20 times last year. Has Daryl Sutter mentioned that once? No, and anytime it's brought up, he's like, no, we worked hard tonight. We We were good. I mean, you mentioned it. The media's talking about it. Daryl's talking about it. He's not rolling for Alliance. He's using for Alliance. Yeah, totally. Totally. This guy is uh, very smart. Very, <laughs> very, very, he's, uh, like you said, he's a brilliant hockey mind, dude. And we're reaping the benefits now. I honestly, um, I'm not even worried about, I, I know that he knows so much about preparation and breaking the season down into individual components that I'm not even worried about. Sure. There's probably going to be dips in the season, but not due to uh, what we saw in the, in the past, which is the Jekyll and Hyde show, right? They're probably going to be battling some challenges throughout the season. It's a long one, but I'm just so confident in Daryl that whatever this team has to go through, he's going to know the solution of, uh, how to get through it. Totally. And I mean, I, I think it's even like, cause I think a lot of us have gotten uh, like, Oh, why the fuck is Brett Ritchie playing with Manjipani? Right. Stuff like that. Like Daryl just knows hockey is a weak link game. And yep. when you have strong links on all four of your lines, and like you said, you can use every single line to a specific end. It's going to make a huge difference in the sustainability of this. And I think that's why a lot of us see this as sustainable because the way they're playing, like, dude, they dominated last night in all three zones. They were, they dominated every aspect of the game last night. And they're doing it in a way that's almost seemingly effortless. And it's because he's like, we've been talking about, he's spreading it out. Everybody just has to do their role. That's it. You don't have to do anything above that. Just everybody execute their role, which is already what you're good at. Play up to your strengths. 
does it not seem like it's kind of seemingly effortless? No, I, I totally agree. And I mean, I think he's, he's, he's balancing the lineup well in a way that he does have his top end talent, his elite talent playing together, right? He doesn't have like Gaudreau, Chuck Lindholm all split up. He's got them together. He's got all three of them. He's got the three best players on this team united as a unit. And then he's got the wealth distributed amongst the other three lines everywhere else. So it's just, it's, it's just looking so much more sustainable than anything we've ever seen. Like, that's, and that's the biggest biggest key is sustainability here. Like you look you look at what the Flames did last night, and I mean, like I think another good example of it is like Oliver Shillington, right? Like a guy who apparently sucks at defense, according to ninety nine percent of people you talk to. He's been their best defensive. Oh my god, he's in so, this system. He is getting better every night. Like in turn, like he was one of the best players in on the ice last night. He was carrying the puck. He, he, had, he had multiple scoring chances, multiple shots, moved the puck very well. Was he on the ice for a scoring chance against? Like, I don't even think he was. That pairing with him and Tanev is just money right now. It's great. Both of them are excellent puck movers. It's just, it's a great pairing. But I mean, that's a good example of this where it's like the sum is, <laughs> the sum of the group is more than its parts, right? Like, you look at that defense last night. I mean, Gabranson is a Dorov struggle. Um, but I mean, you, you look at the defense against like even Pittsburgh, and I know they gave a lot of chances, but I mean, your second, Michael Stone and Eric Gabranson are in your defensive core and you're winning games. Yeah. It's, then, crazy. it's crazy. They're not, yeah, they're not sure. If you look at their, their game numbers at the end of the game, yes, they struggled, but even their struggles are not enough to sink, sink you a game because of the way the team's playing. It's funny. We, we, before the season, we go through, okay, what needs to happen? What needs to go right? One thing we did say is Anderson needs to have a bounce back. Oh man. He is bouncing back. He's been great. He has six points in eight games. Even what's the, what's the only difference? Literally the only difference with Rasmus Anderson is the coach and the style of play. We didn't, uh, we did not. It's funny because we did not say we didn't expect this to happen. We didn't say, Oh, Shillington needs to become one of your top four defensemen, right? We did say Val Mackey needs to, but if, hey, if Shillington, if Shillington's going, doing it, then Val Mackey doesn't have to. But no one really saw this coming, hey, just for the sheer fact of uh, this organization seemed to have a hate on for him. I don't think anybody saw, like, even myself, like, I've said this before about Shillington. It was like, I'm not the ringleader of the Oliver Shillington is going to be a Norse-level defenseman in this league. But, I mean, I'd always just wanted to see the guy because he's got a good skill set, looks promising, looked like he could be a competent and cheap third-pairing defenseman. But, I mean, he's been excellent through six games or through yeah he's played what six games i guess he technically suited up in the first game he played like three minutes i think the best way that i've been able to describe oliver shillington i wouldn't say he's your best defenseman because tanov probably is but he's your most dynamic defenseman yeah for sure he brings an element that nobody else that they've been lacking since tj brody left and they never really addressed And it's funny, uh, I mean, you mentioned BXA in the panel. 
what satisfies me almost as much as anything from watching the Calgary Flames winning game after game after game is the panel has to talk about him now. <laughs> as much as it pained to them that they couldn't talk about Connor McDavid and the Oilers all post game, <laughs> right? They had to talk about the Flames because they're the better team currently. Goddamn right. Like, I mean, here's how good Shillington has been. He currently leads this team in expected goals for percentage at five on five. Like, he's the been the best player in terms of quality shot share. That's insane. Another week of the NFL season means another shot to win big at DraftKings Sportsbook. New customers can bet just $1 on any NFL game and win 100 bucks in free bets if either team scores a point. If you are in Canada or a sportsbook isn't available in your state, DraftKings won't leave you empty-handed as they have great daily fantasy sports options. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes all season long with DraftKings daily fantasy sports contests. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use the promo code THPN, throw down $1 on any NFL game, and win 100 bucks in free bets if either team scores a point. Promo code is THPN this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. You gotta be 21 years or older in New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. There's a minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. That is insane. And you were, you were telling me Go ahead, share some of the, the some some of these guys haven't been scored on yet. Five on five. Yeah, Gaudreau, Coleman, Kachuk, and Pitlick, and Godden too, but he only played like what two games. Haven't been on the ice for a five out of five goal against like Johnny Gaudreau, right? Like Mister Everyone. Oh, he sucks at defense, right? Oh, he's terrible. Oh man, how's can't he gonna, can't win how's he going to fit into this Sutter system? Man, Johnny Gaudreau is in for it under Daryl Sutter. He's gonna he's gonna hate playing under Daryl Sutter. Dude has what leads the league in primary assists, has 11 points in what eight games, and hasn't been on the ice for a five on five goal against. My question neither is neither has Matthew Kachuk, neither has Blake Coleman. How does Eric Francis find any satisfaction in his life right now? <laughs> the Flames are winning every game. Johnny Gaudreau looks amazing. Sean Monahan's starting to play better. Jacob Markson playing Unreal. Seriously, he must He'll, be depressed, eh? Yeah, he's going to find something to, to rip them about, I'm sure. Um, and I did want to just circle back to Monaghan briefly before we get to the god, him, savior himself, Jacob Markstrom. Last night, I think it was a perfect example of a perfect use and what the Flames, what we can hope to get from Sean Monaghan, right? Yeah. Because he's, he's playing on a line, and I'm trying to figure out why Sutter hasn't played with Lucci's and Lewis. I think it is because, again, not the greatest skater. If you've heard Sutter talk about he wants speed up the middle. If you can put Monaghan with two guys he can actually keep up with, it probably helps. Right? Like Man, the, the, the pace and tempo and speed, like we haven't looked this fast since 1819. We haven't looked this fast, and we haven't looked this – like for everybody saying, oh, it's boring to watch, I mean – I enjoyed watching last night's game. Like, I have some stats just of how well they played off the four check last night. The Flames had 22 five on five shots created off the four check to Philly's 11 last night. Like, that's a hell of a four check, dude. 
I can't remember who, check. I can't remember who it was on Twitter, but the other day they were like, "Oh yeah, fucking uh, Johnny Goudreau is forechecking and causing turnovers." <laughs> When Johnny Goudreau is for, I want to see Sean Monahan for checking comes and turnovers, but man, these guys, it's the buy-in. It was funny. I don't know who it was. Somebody asked one of the players, so is it easier to buy in when you're uh, winning every game? Yeah, it is. No, they asked Daryl that. Oh yeah. And he was yeah, like, yeah, I, I hope so. Yeah. I, I would, so. You, would, you would think so. Uh, what you're doing is working. Uh, <laughs> do you want to keep doing it? No, I think we'll do the other thing. And I mean, the other thing too, that I, I noticed last night, um, just zone entries, like, see, and all the shit you hear about, like, oh, Daryl Sutter, because I've noticed the, the people, and I don't like to get into this gotcha game because people always do this to us, and it pisses me off. And it's like, oh, I don't see you talking shit about Branson anymore, you losers. Um, but I've noticed the the uh, the people who are like, oh, Daryl Sutter, old school, boring. Oh, we're going to lose. We're just going to play dump and chase, right? Like, he's such a dinosaur and shit. I noticed those people are... Uh, Kind of quiet these days, right? Yeah, we. I've had a few people accuse us of being wrong about Sutter. We're <laughs> just kind of like, okay, I'm glad you're paying attention to what we're saying. Yes, you haven't listened for the last year and a half, where we literally jerked the guy off <laughs> for 45 minutes. Um, but I mean, the right, like the, the the Flames looked really good in all three zones last night. They had 52 five on five zone entries last night, and like. <laughs> Did you see Johnny Gaudreau dump the puck in very often? No. Like, it's not about dumping the puck in. It's about making smart decisions at each blue line. And that's well, what they're Johnny, doing right now. He's going to have to get used to dumping and chasing now. <laughs> it's just like, man, they're just playing so well. And then one other system stat that you sent to me yesterday, and we talked about this, but we just didn't have the numbers yet, was, was rush chances against. Like, under Ward, the last two years, the 30th in the league, under Daryl so far this year, first best team at defending off the rush. Okay. But I mean, in terms of Sean Monahan, just to circle back to what I was saying about him, Monahan last night in all situations, he gets a power play goal. He gets a power play assist. He had five shots, six shot attempts, five scoring chances, three high danger chances. That's the Sean Monahan this team needs. Yeah. And he did that playing on the fourth line. Yeah. And he had he had a lot of he had like I think two or three scoring chances at even strength with Luigi and Lewis. He he looked good. The guy just has trouble finishing right now. Yeah, and I think it is. It comes back to this this whole thing we've been discussing about Sutter and putting guys in roles. And when all you have to do is execute execute your role, because if you look at Sean Monahan, the guy is has been the whipping boy right for so much criticism of the of what should have been given to the team and the coaching the last few years, few seasons, he probably has developed a, you know, some sort of complex mentally where he's just like, fuck, I have to score more goals. Yeah. Yeah. Like I have to do everything. Like I have to. So for, cause what, and maybe this is all part of Sutter's plan. I wouldn't put it past him because he, he seems to be fucking brilliant is no, we're going to completely reduce your role down to, do what you can on the power play. And here's what I want you to do on the fourth line. Whereas Sean, when at first he's probably like, well, what, like, how do I, but then after 
a while, it's just the game gets easier. It gets back to just the basics, back to the simple things, which it was only going to, you know, generate results for Sean. When he gets to that point, then you can elevate him again, right? You can give him more of a bigger role. So I don't know. I think Sutter knows what he's doing again with Sean Monahan. I think he does too. And I mean, like he's, like you said, everything is a lot easier. It's a lot easier to buy in when you're winning. And I, I, I agree with that assessment of, of what he's doing with Monahan because all, again, all we've heard from Daryl since he took over this team is good things about Sean Monahan. Yep. And it's funny because you look at a guy like Sam Bennett, one of the first thing Daryl said when Sam was traded is that he, he wished he had more time with Sam. And it's probably because he was going to put him through a similar process of what he's doing with, with Monaghan now. Strip his game back so that he just has to do a few things that he can execute no problem. Then we'll keep adding on top of that. It seems to be what's happening. Sutter's working his magic, dude. I have an honest question for you. And we talked about this in the last podcast because some people might sit here and say, oh, uh, I guess it was some really good offseason acquisitions. That was the big change for this team. I, th- I think most of us can see th- that that's not the case. This is strictly a style of play that the coach is implementing here that's obviously very effective. Do you, how much of this credit could do you honestly give to Brad True Living um, that this team is off to such a hard, hot start? I mean, like the only credit I give Brad True Living is the fact that he finally ponied up and hired Daryl Sutter, <laughs> which wasn't even his decision. Yeah, we don't know. I mean, okay, like the the three players who you can absolutely say Brad added to this team and right now are contributing to making them a better team are Coleman, Markstrom, and Chris Tannehill. Like, I mean, I've I've really liked what Tyler Pitlick's brought to the table, but I mean, again, for the people who are like, oh, you're, you you guys were wrong about Cabranson. It's like, are they six one and one because Eric Cabranson in the lineup? Or are they six one and one because? Uh, Johnny, Sutter's the top line, yeah, because Daryl Sutter has everybody playing really well. It's his ladder. So, I mean, I, I've I've always been, I don't want to say skeptical of Markstrom, but I've always been leery of paying goalies $6 million. So when Brad did that, that was my initial reaction. If this is what $6 million in a goalie gets you, then sign me the fuck up every day of the week. Yep. So I will retroactively, if this is Jacob Markstrom, and again, I think the credit kind of goes to Daryl because he knows what he's doing and he knows how to manage him thus far. And it knows what the, uh, how to put a low, you know, a low scoring chance game in front of him. So yeah, exactly. The team's playing good defense in front of him. He's not physically and mentally exhausted game five into the season. Like, again, he may have that insane 45 save shutout against Pittsburgh, but that was the first like heavy load game. Right. Like this, like, sorry, I didn't cut you off, but no, this no. style of game with this type of elite goaltender exactly. is so reminiscent of Kiprasov. Totally. Right? That's exactly what I was thinking. And like how much success that Kiprasov had in this league it was due to the team in front of him and the style of the play they played. Because sure, we had, um, fuck, what was his name? The Kevin Woodley. Guy. Yeah. We had Kevin Woodley on, right? Who said under the Canucks system of style, 
They're not a huge defensive team. They allowed a lot of shots, uh, quantity shots from the perimeter. That's kind of how they like to defend. And after a while, Jacob Markstrom gets used to playing that way. And he starts to see success because he knows what to expect. Whereas on this flip side, Philly had, what, four shots? Um, 40 minutes into the game, they had four shots? The shots were like 20 to four late in the second period. It was insane. So if, if I mean, Pittsburgh was a different 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 game but if you're jacob markstrom you're starting to get the ebb and flow of what you can expect from what how many chances and from where you're going to be um getting from the opposition and over time i think you saw this with kiprasov he just realizes that all i have to do is save the saves that i should and then make four or five big saves a game yeah and we're gonna win Pretty much all the time. I mean, that's a formula that we've seen before. I think we're starting to see it again. I think the thing that I like was thinking last night watching Markstrom is like, you know, the shots are not going to go in. You just like, that's how well he's playing. And that was the kind of hallmark of Kippersoft's game is like you're saying, he makes the saves that he needs to make. Like every time I can just, you can picture this perfectly. If you've been a flame fan for a long time. Rush chance, guy coming down the wing, shoots, and it's right in Kipper's belly, and he just swallows it up. And there's like, there's no rebound. It's not going in, right? Yeah. Like, he would give you 25 save, routine saves like that every night and always give you a chance to win. That's what you're seeing with Markstrom right now. And, like, I was, the point I wanted to make on the Pittsburgh game was like, okay, that's a heavy load game where he was unbelievable. But how many times over the past three years have, We've seen multiple games like that. Ha- like that was the requirement for the Flames to win the game. Think about last year, how many games Markstrom had to steal for them. David Reddick had to steal for them. Mike Smith had to steal for them. Like, yeah, without, without any run support. Without any run support and without any defense. And like, that doesn't just happen like, okay, one game on this road trip that happened. It was like every night. It's like last year, every time they played the Leafs, David Reddick's making 40 saves. It's like, Every time, like how many games last year did they play Montreal? Like I, I remember a few games early on in the season where it was like the Flames didn't even show up and Markstrom had a shutout and was unbelievable and they barely squeaked out a win. It was like, yeah. you don't have to be a god every single night yep. when you're playing this way. And that's going to help him be better because he doesn't have to be facing 40 high danger scoring chances every night. Once in a while he does. And he was fucking great because he's not tired. Exactly. Keep managing that workload, baby. How good is he on the penalty kill, man? Dude, I could watch us kill penalties like all day. Like it's an absolute pleasure to watch the Calgary Flames kill penalties, right? It is. Like that five on three against Pittsburgh. Yep. Holy shit. You're shorthanded for six minutes, man. Pretty much. It was unbelievable. And you're like, yeah, they're not scoring. Yeah, (laughs) pretty much it. You're not even like worried. And if you're like, oh, if they get one, we'll probably get it back. No big deal. Right? So like, and I was, I said this, I think I posted this on Instagram. Is like, if this is Jacob Markstrom, if he's this good, and I, he's obviously not going to be this good all season, but if this is, if this is the kind of performance that you're going to be getting from this guy, that's a game changer in terms of where I see the flames placing in the division. Because if this is Jacob Markstrom, we have the best goaltender in the division by a fucking mile. Big time. I mean, we've I've mentioned this before in 1819. By the time we got two thirds into the season, 
every week it was like, oh, the Flames are just, this is a new record here, franchise yeah. record. <laughs> They've never had five guys with 20 goals or this blah, 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 this, what? Like every week it was something new. One week in, I guess we're two weeks in, or we're three weeks in, I mean, fucking know. Jacob Marksham um, has set a record for himself, and I this is probably some sort of touches a record league-wide, but he has two shutouts in his last three games, or was it three in his last four He's games. had three in four. He's let in one goal in four games. So he's uh, reaching personal bests. The team is – you've seen it. You've seen the stats. We still haven't trailed yet now. So this is – you're getting right up here in the in franchise records in terms of how well they're playing uh, with how the, well they're playing with the lead. So you're, you're not even 10 games in and you're seeing records. I think it's a good sign, man. Oh, totally. You know, and like the fact Gaudreau is like over a point per game. So is Lindholm and Kachuk looks great. Like, man, oh man. It's nice to not have an outplayer coach. Eh? <laughs> <laughs> and now literally that was our, that was kind of like the culmination of our analysis for last season. Just like if, if they can outplay the coaching blunders, they might have some success. If they can somehow figure out how to win games when it's like you need a goal in the last minute and Johnny Gaudreau, Sean Monahan, Matthew Chuck are all sitting on the bench. That one meme, eh? That, <laughs> or that one pitcher is just like, yeah. The Sportsnet ticker is on, you're down by one, the net's empty. There's 35 seconds left, and there's Johnny, Monty, and whoever else just sit on the bench, eh? With looking up, looking up the score clock. <laughs> yeah, oh, that was our. That was the nutshell. Eh? The totally. that's a picture of a picture said a thousand words about that season. Just insane. So okay, last. Yeah. So, go ahead. Well, I was going to no, say no. last. Last Sutter thing before we get into the games here. Um, post New Jersey, this is when you're kind of like now you're you're starting to to catch attention across the league, right? Across the league, this team is being talked about now. This is before they finished their last two games with two more wins. Post New Jersey, let's throw this clip in here because I think it it really does sum up what we've been um, been talking about to, to open this podcast up here. I think we're learning how to play the right way. I think it's a big adjustment for our group. Players that that uh, you know that have been here for a while. It's a big adjustment process of learning how to play the right way and do it consistently and. And it's got nothing to do with work. That's for sure. This team, this team works really hard. It's just a matter of playing together and playing, doing things right. Then uh, he goes on to say that I think this was after the Pittsburgh game. I don't think we've dominated teams because one of the reporters saying, "Well, you've been dominating here on the road trip." He said, "I don't think we've been dominating teams. I think our best game was Washington. We caught a couple of teams in situation that maybe you could take advantage of. Meaning he he has a game plan for each game." I'm not considered – I mean, I'm sorry. I'm not concerned about dipping. This team's not going to dip, dude. There'll, there will be no dip. Dude. They're so there focused. Ain't no dip coming. They are look dialed at, in. Did you watch any of the post-game press conferences? Look at the post-game press conferences. These guys are like – they aren't celebrating shit yet. Whatever. Sutter has them focused on a long-term goal, long-term vision. And they're starting to see that these are the little steps along the way to get there. But uh, they're not – this was Jeff Ward. They would have been fucking, what, having nights out on the town, playing – pumping music in practice. Hey, it'd be just Pool a fun, party, pizza party fest. at Brad's house. Just make sure everyone's having fun. 
This would be a Stanley Cup win, dude. Here's one more clip we want to throw in, and then we'll move on from Sutter. The pregame, um, this was the pregame for last night's game. Have a listen. It all parts for a game can be a lot better. I think individual performances, D and forward connected better. Uh, communication between our goalie and our defenseman. Uh, time and score, manage that. Uh, players taking the next step in terms of what's expected of them, in terms of, of uh, what it does take to win and lose. Okay, so um, you're, you've won six in a row, and here's the coach saying all of your parts of your game can be better. And he's right. Why? Because the benchmark is to win a Stanley Cup. That's why. That's why all areas of the team not only can be better, they have to be better. And they, and they, you know they will be better, right? You know they'll be better. Like, you know, I, I can't see Gabranson and Zadorov get it being a pairing next game. <laughs> no, exactly. The last Sutter quote I want to, we're not going to play, but I'll, I'll tell you what he says. After the road trip, he says, uh, that's eight games in 15 days with a lot of time zones and a lot of late nights and a lot of travel. So it has to be a team game to win. Just this guy just knows what he's doing, period. And it's nice to be able to trust the guy. Like, I think that's why we're so just gushing because we've had the exact opposite for five years where it's like, we can't trust anything the coach does or says or anything he implements because no. it's so like, it's just so nice to have a guy you can like, I don't have to fret and worry and freak out about the line combinations, let alone like what this team is doing on a day in day out basis. Yeah. That was one of the things we were talking about last season. It's just like, you know what? I don't think we necessarily have to worry so much with the Lions anymore. <laughs> okay, you touched on it. Let's get to the Zadorov. Um, he's the new Shillington. Okay, the roles have been except, I, except I think he's earned. I think he's earned his lack of play time. Holy, exactly right. He uh, comes back. Was Val Mackey? He was out last night, right? Val Mackey was a scratch last night. Yeah, I don't think. Um, Dude, he Zadorov looked out of place. He was he, he was like a sore thumb, dude. Yep. He was like the only bad thing I saw last night. It was a well-oiled, he was like a well-oiled machine, and there's like just like a piece of something that gets stuck in it. It was just like holy smokes. Like the like like we said, the Flyers had like no shots last night. And he still got killed in terms of shot share. Like there was that one shift, man. I think he took a oh, penalty where it resulted yeah. in his penalty. And it's like, he gives the puck away. He yeah, loses a battle. Turnover. He turns it over again, loses another battle, ends up taking a stick penalty. Like, holy smokes, dude. Yeah, that was a rough. Yeah, that was a bad shift. Yeah. All right. <laughs> so if you're looking at um, the Philly game, I think it was Chris Tannett last night, wasn't it? Wasn't he the top performer? Yeah, I picked the top. If you follow us on Instagram, you'll notice I, I do like a little top performer thing. That's usually my opinion on who I I try to pick like who is the best like analytical performer because um, just kind of gives a different perspective. So I thought Tanev had a really good game last night. Like when a guy goes almost 90% in terms of expected goals for share, like how can he not be one of the best players on the ice? And man, there's, you're starting to see it consistently. There's a, there's a few moments inevitably it seems in each game where it's just like oh 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 look at oh wow there's chris tanev look he just cleaned that mess up real quick didn't he man he's just so good behind his own blue line that's ridiculous dude 
So let's get into the goal. Last night, Sean Monahan opens it up. The powerful <laughs> goal. Everybody is just stoked because Sean Monahan's scoring now. And oh. then, I mean, it's kind of interesting. I mean, you text me in the first period, and you're like, yeah, it's a low event hockey game. And I think we're, we're starting to become very comfortable in those games because you now trust that we're going to score some goals and we're probably going to prevent more than we're didn't we score so we got a good chance of winning um but then the, if you go into the third period one nothing lead oh dude that power play goal dude hand to Lindholm to Kachuk the cross cross crease can we see more cross crease passing please fuck that was sexy I I think the most underrated part of it was the first pass Kachuk made to Monahan too that puck kind of comes to Chuck and he whacks it between his legs um like not his usual between his legs, but he does like a little draw pass. Oh man. Those are my uh, favorite kind of goals where it's just like tic-tac-toe. Holy shit. Like that was, was just, a yeah. beauty. It was sweet. Cause um, most more, more often than not, I usually watch the game on my own. Um, but I was at my, my parents' place and my brother was over and uh, we were getting into the wine, and when they, by the time they scored that goal, dude, we were just all fucking losing it. We just, it was, it was awesome. Just an explosion in the in the in the living room was awesome. Great, great play by Lindholm too. Like Cassie's like, I thought he overpassed it, if you will, if you will. I thought he overpassed it, but like, yeah, I didn't see Chuck there. I thought he was too far behind the net, and Lindholm put was the, the perfect. It's true that angle that he had to shoot that in the open net. Yeah, Backlund would have missed that, eh? Backlund would have put that in row six. Monaghan would have flubbed it. Perfect. Oddly enough, Backlund, this is so funny, eh? <laughs> Backlund is one of those guys we need to rip him more often because whenever we rip him the next game, so he actually hits an open net last night, kind of. I mean, didn't it go posting in? <laughs> it barely hit. It, like, was top corner. Does that even count as a shot on net because it hit the post? <laughs> Oh man! So you go up three nothing, then Johnny Gaudreau. Fuck that! That was so sexy, dude. Those are my favorite. Like the way again, that's a classic Gaudreau goal, right? Like he picks that up in the neutral zone, perfect oh. zone entry. Kind of slows up the play. Bear, fantastic goal. Oh, so you're. Let's do the game report for Philly real quick. Flames have 36 shots to Philly's 20. Again, when the power play, when you win the special teams battle, you win a lot of games, dude. Two power play goals last night and no power play goals against. Again, the penalty kill is unreal. Dude, I, I'm serious. Like, I could watch Coleman and Mangiapane. Backlund, Lindholm. Backlund, Lindholm, like, kill penalties all day long. Like, man, Tanev. that's fun to watch. And then, like, you got Markstrom back there. You know they're not scoring. Like I know the Flames have had some penalty or some uh, power play goals against, but I think they've been pretty lucky to like not have have. I think they have the one of the best penalty kills in the league from what I've seen. Oh, easily. Like, have they? When was the last time they allowed a power play goal? It's crazy good. Well, I mean, we're not allowing any goals right now <laughs> at all. It's it's wild, but man. Anyways, forty four shot attempts by the Flames. Uh, at five on five last night to Philly's 29. They controlled possession the whole night. Flames had 10 high danger scoring chances to Philly's three and 29 scoring chances to Philly's 12. 
the Flames own the expected goals for a share at 61.65% to Philly's 38.35. Just pretty much a dominant night in all three zones from the Flames. You dominated in a, in a very telling game. In a tight game, because again, like the Flames dominated, but it was still tight. And the thing that I noticed the most was like, okay, I, I thought the Flyers actually on the road, right? Last game of road trip, like they hung in there pretty good. The Flames didn't stray from what they were trying to do nope. for one millisecond last night. And like you said, opening up is a good litmus game, right? Because the old Flames would have dipped, found a way to lose. Yeah. Not the case. I mean, this is a team that just beat Edmonton and Vancouver on back-to-back nights. They have a night off and then dominate them. Dominate them. Yeah, top game scores. uh, I usually just post the top five. Rasmus Anderson, Chris Tanev, Elias Lindholm, Matthew Chuck, Oliver Shillington with a breakout performance game. He was very good. All right, anything else from the Philly game you want to jump to? Because... The Pittsburgh game is probably my favorite win out of the whole. whole I I did want on the the Philly game. There's one thing, and I've kind of mentioned this, just how impressed I've been with Blake Coleman. Um, he's just like he he's the per he's like a perfect hockey player, dude. He's a breath of fresh air. eh? Yeah, and I mean, like there there's a shift last night, and they even highlighted it on the broadcast. And I mean, it's not like the Flames were in do or die mode, but they're they're up too late, right? And again, like how many times in the past have you seen? The Flames, like, okay, even if they're up by two, the opposing team makes a push in the last four minutes and, like, gets to within one, and it's an absolute mad scramble. Just, like, clench your teeth, clench your anus. I might shit my pants watching this last five minutes. They blow it or something. Like you said, they find ways to lose games. But there's a shift. Coleman comes out, makes, a, like, makes a great – destroys the guy who has the puck in the flame zone. Just – buries them into the boards, setting it up for Backlund to take the puck out of the zone and get that empty net goal. And it's just like, I, I've heard the term used of Coleman is like functional grit. That's totally what it is. Yeah, like, that's good. That's good. Huge, huge moments in the game, in, in, in pretty much all of these games. Like we talked about last time in the Rangers game, when the, there's a, a turning point in the game, who's the, guy, who's the guy who comes out and gets the goal and has two awesome shifts? It's Blake Coleman. And I mean, the thing I've been most impressed with is not even like those big turning point moments, but the the solid play in key moments of the game where it's like, hey, we need to shut down. We need we don't need a big shift, right? We don't need a big goal. We don't need a big hit. We don't need a big we don't need a, a TSN turning point. We just need somebody to go out and have a really awesome shift. And that's Blake Coleman. You can just throw him out and know he's gonna know he's gonna put in a great shift. Like I've been so impressed with Coleman. And then kill Shillington and Dan have just absolutely killed it. Oh, dude. Fantastic. All right. On to the Pittsburgh game. All right. On to the pens because I don't know. I think this is, this might be my favorite game out of stretch because it's a game where you don't dominate. You play a good hockey game for all intents and purposes. They don't dominate you. I don't think, I mean, they're trailing. So they got the push factor going. They had the five on three. We already mentioned it, which turned out to be six minutes essentially of, of power play time. And you nullify that. They're all over you. Jacob Markstrom makes probably what might stand out as the, the goal, the save of the year. This game had a little bit of everything. 
the fucking goal that Johnny Gaudreau scores. Oh my lord! Fuck. The first off, the pass from Matthew Kachuk on the half boards to find Gaudreau on the breakout, and Gaudreau, dude. To make that play at full speed, there's a guy pinching down on you. Like, yeah, if I just like tilt my blade like this, the puck's gonna jump over a stick. (laughs) Oh my god! So he does that, turns on the jets, and then you slow it. So you slow it down. You watch a snipe. It's fucking bar down. It's right in the corner. Fuck! That was a patented Johnny Good. Thank God he stopped going five hole. eh? No shit, eh? He remembered to raise the puck. Dude, that was like in moments like that. Like I, people have forgot. I I think it's been reinstated because he was good last year. Like you forget how elite Johnny Gaudreau is when he's Fuck, playing. He this looks game. good right now, dude. Like that game, again, like you said, you, you get outshot. There's there's a score factor there, but that game, that's a Johnny Gaudreau. You win that game because of Johnny Gaudreau and Jacob Markstrom. Like that was, I think, the best game Johnny's played all season. Like man, he was fucking great. Dude, that goal so was, dangerous. He's dude. Even last <laughs> night, I mean, he looks so good right now. Yeah, he looks like Johnny Gaudreau. That like, he, yeah, he looks like Johnny Gaudreau. Like he's just dancing. He's flying. He fucking buried that shot. It was unbelievable. Everything that happened on that play, like you said, the awareness to tip that by the defender, the speed to be able to get the inside lane, and that shot is a perfect oh. shot. You yeah. watch that in slow motion, and it's like just hockey porn right there. Unreal. It's, it's yeah. I mean, was it Jerry and that? He comes out. He comes out like six feet. I don't know how. I don't like, know how angle? he found that shot. Like, that was there was. How is that like if ge- geometrically? How does that even work? That shot. I don't even know. Because it goes over. It's like it was the perfect shot because it was placed just over uh, the goalie's shoulder and far down. It was incredible. Fuck, that was money. Whew. No goals in the second period. You go into the third period with a one-goal lead. Blake Coleman makes it uh, 2 nothing. This is Again, why, this, another huge one, right? Like, yeah, this like, is why I say, like, these are playoff. This is playoff hockey. Yeah. Like, these goals just, like, uh, Dubé gets his first as well. On a sick setup. A classic Johnny Gaudreau setup. Oh, that was so... He's got that puck on a roll. Like, again, nobody on the Flames could make that play. Maybe Matthew Kachuk, other than Johnny Gaudreau, to have the heads up to slow that down, to see Dubé coming, to know he's got a lane. Great pass. And then Mr. Sniper himself, Milan Lucic, comes down (laughs) with another fucking five-hole snipe. I'm loving that five-hole shot. That's some Jerome McGinley shit right there. What do you think of the fourth line as a whole right now? I'm totally fine with it. How could you not be? I mean, that's what we've said about Lucic for a while. And I know technically they're calling the Dubé line the fourth line, but the Lucic line is the fourth line. Yeah. Like, I think in all of our complaints about Lucic over the past few years, we have been pretty fair in saying, like, he would be totally fine if he's, like, playing a fourth line role like that. You know? Just don't yeah. put him with Backlund and expect him to be on the play-driving shutdown line. That's stupid. Yep. Yeah. He's been okay. perfect in that role. Remind me of Coleman's goal because now I forget it. It was the set play off the faceoff where they do that little kickback and he switches spots with Shillington and blasts it from the blue line. And it goes through traffic? It goes through traffic and it was a low, hard blast from, from the blue line. It was sweet. I love it. Eh? Okay, game report us for uh, Pittsburgh and we'll wrap up Pittsburgh. And then the last thing we got to touch on is uh, 
the rumor mill is firing <laughs> up again. So the Flames get outshot uh, 45 to 35 by the Penguins. But like you said, the score effect was very real. This game was pretty skewed by the fact that Pittsburgh was chasing the whole game. Yeah. Um, Plus they had more power play time. Those yeah. power plays, they, they looked good too. Those power plays, I like was ready to sacrifice a child for Jacob Markstrom. Man, he just was solid. I know the big, I know he made a couple, the big save, the paddle save, but oh, man, those, was... those saves on the five on three, those are yeah. not the saves he makes look easy. Those are like, that's why you pay a guy $6 million. If he's doing that shit. Holy shit. Wow. Question for you, because on the last podcast, we said, so far this season, Elias Limholm takes the cake for best individual performance in one oh, game. Oh, man. Dude, is this take yeah, Yes. Yeah, yes, yeah. it does. He was – Jacob Marshall was so fucking dialed in. Like you said, especially you notice it on, on every single penalty kill we had. He was making saves left, right. Just dialed right like, in. I know we've seen some really good goalie performances from, like, David Reddick and even Mike Smith the past few years. I haven't seen a goalie performance like that since, like, Kippersoff. And a game like I can't even remember what game. Like he made 45 saves and he made so many huge saves. It was just like I I haven't seen a game like that from a goalie in a really long time. Okay. So game report. Uh shot attempts at five on five, uh 60 to 49 for Pittsburgh. Scoring chances 29-24 in favor of Pittsburgh. High danger chances 10 to 7. So again, like it's I I, I don't think the flames. But dominated to the extent that you, you might think. Um, and then expected goals for percentage. Pittsburgh wins that 60% and the Flames 39%, almost 40%. In terms of game scores, obviously Jacob Markstrom leads the way with the highest game score of the season because he was insane. Johnny Gaudreau, number two, Matthew Kachuk, Michael Backlund, Milan Lucic. And what a road trip. Backlund was even saying he's never swept a road trip before. In his career, do you know how hard it is to sweep a five-game road trip? Probably pretty fucking hard. And like you know, we we kind of talked about in the last one. Sure, they weren't the greatest opponents, but all teams that you faced are off to a great start this season. So they're playing decent hockey. That's that's tough. And it's encouraging because again, not all great opponents, but we've seen the Flames in the past characteristically play down to their opponents. Why are you losing to Ottawa seven fucking times a year? (laughs) So if you're looking ahead, this homestand, let's take a quick little glance ahead here. You got Nashville. You got one night off. Then you got Nashville. You got one night off. You got Dallas. You got one night off. Then the Rangers are in town for uh, next hockey night in Canada. Then two nights off and the Sharks are in town. Nashville is playing pretty decent hockey. They'll be a good little test. And Nashville Flames games are always wild. Yes, true. They have, it's, it's just after Halloween, though. So maybe that makes a difference. Maybe Does David Riddick get the start? You know, he, you dude, you know they're going to start him. Why wouldn't they? they? They have to. Then, um, I don't know, Dallas is always a weird opponent for us. Doesn't matter if they're playing good or bad. We have our time against Dallas. So that'll be a good little test. You got the Rangers coming back. And then the Sharks on the following Tuesday. What are your thoughts on the Sharks? Because they're off to a good start, but do they even look that good? I don't know. They had a lot of guys out last night with COVID protocol. But yeah, I don't know about the Sharks because like I know everybody wrote them off, but then there's always the factor. It's like, hey, I mean, if Carlson even comes close to what he 
used Which to be. Is, he's starting. He had a great start. And season. he's looking pretty good. Like, I mean, I still like a lot of the guys on the team. I love Timo Meyer. I mean, Thomas Hurdle is really good. Yep. I still like a lot of guys on the Sharks. So, I don't know. I wouldn't be surprised to see them be okay this year and better than everyone thought. And who's in net for them? Like, year? I mean, their goaltending blows. I think it's Reimer and... uh yeah, Reimer. The Jones the other guy. No, it's I think Jones. Jones went to Philly. Their goaltending stinks. But, I mean, Reimer's been really good. I don't even know who their other goalie is. It's somebody who's like... It's somebody bad. <laughs> it's like somebody who you'd be like, why is he in the NHL still? Okay, so what do you do with Sidorov? What's what's Daryl going to do next? Is he going to take him back out of the lineup? It's going to be interesting to see how he plays this one. Um, yeah, I am interested because, like, do you give him another chance, or like, would you give him another chance? I, I he played so bad, I would have a hard time sitting Valimaki in his stead. I mean, when he was asked about it before the game. Because they knew he was coming in. The media asked Daryl about it. And they, the media straight up asked. Because there were some people thinking, well, maybe he's injured. Maybe that's why he's not playing. So Daryl got asked. And Daryl said, that has nothing to do with injuries. If you play well, you play in the lineup. Yeah. If you don't, if you don't play well, you don't. <laughs> There's a lot of competition there. So you have to be better than your competition internally. Yeah, I don't know. I think Valimaki's look better. So I think Valimaki and Stone have, I think as, and the thing is, I, I think Daryl likes his pairing. So I, I wouldn't be surprised to see Gabranson maybe sit. Cause again, like Zadorov was bad, but so was Gabranson in both the last two games. If it's me, I'm putting Stone and Valimaki back in. I would think Sutter might just uh, prefer to just go with one. I had to guess that's his Zadorov's coming out. What infuriates you more? Um, <laughs> knowing that Brad True Living won't get Jack Eichel or hearing that Brad True Living is still in on Jack Eichel. What, what, uh, like when, when the ebbs and flows, when earlier on in the week they're like, oh yeah, it sounds like Vegas is getting him for sure. What infuriates you more, that or when well, I think it was Kevin Weeks two days later says, no, hold on, Calgary's still right there. <laughs> it's between Calgary and Vegas. I don't know what infuriates you more. Option C is that Brad will probably not do this because the Flames have won six games in a row and he'll be back to his believe in the group thing. Okay, so let's get down <laughs> to this because now there's a debate, right? You're, and I got to ask this on Twitter. I'll give my response, but I want to hear yours. You're six, one and one. You just won six straight. Things are obviously working, clicking. You got chemistry. The four lines are contributing. If you pursue Jack Eichel now, are you worried about ruining what you have going? No. Okay. Because I'm under the same impression is that, sure, you, you might. Here's the thing, right? Like, let's talk about this again. If you're going to make a Jack Eichel deal happen, let's run through very quickly what pieces of the deal need to happen or for it to work, right? You need to shed cap. What typically do you think the ask is? I don't think if, if you're not even Bradtree living is stupid enough to trade Mangiapane at this rate. So it sounds like it's probably a Dubé, maybe a Shillington or a Valimaki. And 
one of your prospects that's hot. Maybe they want Coronado. He's looking really fucking Holy good. Holy smokes. He's got like, what, four points in like 10 minutes? I'd personally rather give up one of Peltier Rosario than Coronado. I yeah, think I'd me like too. to hang on to him. Yeah. And then you're looking at a draft pick. Is that is that kind of what the package most likely is? I think so. It's still probably futures, right? It sounds like Buffalo doesn't want guys who are expiring deals and, and that sort of thing. So you got to think that's still the ask. It's interesting. If you're Buffalo, you're off to a pretty decent start. And you're doing it without your franchise. What was your franchise player? The more success they have, you would think that oddly enough, it actually weakens their trading ability because now all of a sudden they're maybe more concerned with having some success this season and not completely writing it off. So I don't know. What do you think honestly would get the deal done if you're the Calgary Flames and you're Brad, you're living? What would bring Jack Eichel over to Calgary? Well, I think the issue is money right now because Eichel is not on LTIR. Okay, so outside, outside of the issue, we've got to deal with that separately. So you've got to deal with $10 million. Okay, but what would the ask be? I think the ask is probably Dubé, probably Valimaki, probably Coronado, probably a first. And then you got to figure out, like, I mean, maybe they even would ask for right now for a guy like Hannafin or Anderson, just because maybe they are playing a little better and they want somebody who's maybe younger but still under contract. Like, I look at this and I say, okay, if Bradshaw Living's been in on this for, what, eight months now? Yeah, he knows what it's what it's going to take. He obviously knows. So, and the fact that he's still in on it means that he's is, willing. When is Buffalo going to fucking make a deal here? Like, what is the holdup? Well, it sounds like Eichel is getting ready to file a grievance with the PA, which is what would would speed that process up. All right. So then let's look at the other other aspects because if and like I said, Bradshaw Living obviously has a solution in the lineup. Otherwise, he wouldn't he would have gave up on this a long time ago. But now you have to clear up cap space because what what's Jack Eichel's salary? Ten million dollars. Now, to me, it would make a perfect sense that part of the deal is okay, put him on an LTI before you send him over here. Right? Would it that- sounds like I, that was my thought too, but it sounds like Buffalo Buffalo has more cap space than Eichel's cap hit. So I think the way it, it works out, I saw Ryan Pike tweet about this, is that they're actually not allowed to put him on LTIR because it creates negative cap space. But you can't you can't bring a player over and then put him on LTIR? No, they'd have to. That's fucking stupid. Yeah. As far as I understand it, he's on the regular IR. So anybody acquiring him needs to make sure that he would fit into their current cap structure. That seems like a dumb rule. So you'd need to get rid of 10 million. Well, the Flames have like one in a bit in room with their current roster. So you need to shed nine mil. Okay. So how do they do that? Obviously, you're just a door off, shoot him to the moon. You either need a another dance partner, right? Could you do a three-way deal, three-way deal, or you have to do another side deal? You could do a but, three-way deal or you could do two deals. Okay. So what would you propose? How would you shed that? Does it, does it have to include Monaghan? You would think so. Okay. At because who, point, who else if not him? At this point, he's starting to play better. His trade value is probably going up. I mean, ideally, you can just shed Lucic, but I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think that's a, an option. If you could shed Lucic and Zadorov, you could make this thing happen tomorrow. I That's not a realistic option, though. 
Now, is Zadorov and Monahan a realistic option? Shedding them, probably, right? I think probably you could make that work. It definitely wouldn't be easy. You'd probably be sending over sweeteners and thus paying more for Jack Eichel, unless, again, it was a three-way deal in which you could like uh, combine assets with another team so you don't have to give up quite as much. Um, I mean, you, you see GMs do this all the time. They, they take a risk on a player like just like Sean Monaghan, I mean, you saw, yeah, he's a goal Josh Anderson, you saw it with Josh Anderson last season. You see it all the time. Every season, teams take risks. Well, remember when Phil Kessel was like untradeable? It was like, who is ever going to take Phil Kessel? Who's going right. to take Phil Kessel without retaining salad? Like, who's going to take? It's like, well, he's been traded like 18 times. So what you're saying is it's it's definitely possible. That's probably what it would take is Monaghan and Zadorov. Well, what are the other options? You probably have to trade two of, because there's, there's really only a, a few group of players who make enough money. Unless you are trading Manjupani and you're like doing it piecemeal. And it's like, Hey, Manjupani's two, Dubé's two, Zadorov's 3.75. And then maybe one other guy you can get rid of, but seems to me there would have to be some player who's making a pretty high lump sum. So that's Lucic, that's Monaghan, that's Backlund, um, and Zadorov. So probably two of those guys. So like you said, I don't see a Lucic trade happening, right? Do you? No. Um, I don't see the Flames trading Backlund. So that really just leaves Monaghan. The only way I could see a team taking Lucic, like you said, it would have to be a sweetener. You would think Mangiapani instead of Dubé would make it sweet enough that someone would would take Lucic's cap off you. Now, in what scenario does it make sense to lose Mangiapani in this transaction? Oh, that's where it's tough, man. See, like, and and I'm not saying they shouldn't, or I'm not saying that I would rather have Andre Mangiapani in the team as opposed to Jack Eichel, but Mangiapani is so important in what they're doing right now. Yeah. Um, and I mean, where I'm at right now is like, not that if they couldn't make it work, I wouldn't be happy about it, but it's like, there seems the groundwork wasn't properly laid for this to happen unless they can really swindle a sweet exactly. deal because it's crunch time. Exactly. But the fact that the groundwork hasn't been laid at all, like if this is the off season, you still can move around money in all sorts of different ways. But the fact that you now are up against the app and have your three, three of your four best players to sign this upcoming off season, that's what makes me be like, I don't even know. It would be worth it if they can make it work, but would it be worth it? You know, like yeah. is, is the hassle even worth it at this point? Simply because the groundwork hasn't been laid. Because what do you do if you add Jack Eichel? Let's say you make this happen and you add $10 million to your team. Okay, well, that's you're saying goodbye to one of Kachuk, Goudreau, Manjipani, which maybe that's fine with you, but it just the fact that the the work hasn't been done yet to facilitate something like this worries me a bit. If maybe this is my final question for you, but if because you've seen the 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 value raise on Mangiapane in the last twelve months, big time across the league, he's getting recognition. Is he closer to? I don't want to say a one-for-one one swap, but he has the he, key piece of a deal. Yeah. He would be a key piece of the deal. But then again, because you need 
to relieve cap space, he kind of would scratch himself. He would kind of excellent. It would cancel himself out. Yeah. Because now you need, you need the other team to take someone like Lucic. Yeah. But if it's someone like Monaghan, but then he has to wave it. There's so many complications. Yeah. Monaghan's 10 team, no trade clause makes it a make complicates everything. So again, like I said, groundwork, there's been no ground. Like everything is against them right now. They have to sign three of their four best players. They have no cap space. They're right up against it. They have a lot of bad money on the books in the form of Lucic and Zadorov right now. And I guess you could say Monaghan too. Um, and Monaghan has a no trade clause. And why is he still in on this? I don't know. So that's like the only way I can see this making work is if it's like, if it's such a steal where it's like, yeah, he is able to get rid of Lucic or Monaghan. And it's just like a pretty reasonable package, including Balamaki. Dubay in a first or something. Maybe that's why he's still in on it. Like, like, again, what, like do, what does Calgary have that's better than, than what Vegas can give them? Well, and I think what Vegas can give them, at the end of the day, I don't see Calgary outbidding Vegas because of the complications we just mentioned. Like, I think the Flames could put together a better package on paper, right? Like, you say, okay, we'll give you Manjupani, Dubay, Valamaki, and a first. Like, who's saying no to that? Yeah. But, but, then, but then you still can't make the deal go. But then you still can't make the money work, right? Because, like, let's say Sean Monaghan refuses to waive his no trade clause, or you can't trade him. Um, so you, you need just, another, you need another piece. But obviously so, he has, obviously he's got some something in the works. He's got solutions that might work. Otherwise, he'd be fucking long gone. <laughs> or is that just Brad? Or Shea? it's just Brad Shea Living doing Brad Shea Living things. Yeah, that's kind of just the the whatever the the act of I'm gonna make it seem like I'm in on this one. Where it's really like have we have no money and we just signed Jacob Markstrom and Chris Tanev, but for some reason the Flames' name is coming up on Alex Petrangelo to sign. It's like what? We can't fit. We can't afford or need Petrangelo. What's going on? So is Manji Pony not untouchable then for you? I don't know. I don't want to say anyone's untouchable for for Jack Eichel, right? Like. You'd be fooling yourself if, like, for me as a huge Manjifani fanboy, I would have it. That would be a tough one to swallow, right? Um, but it's Jack Eichel. Hey, you made it. It's the end of the podcast. If you liked this episode, please do us a favor take a sec and leave a rating and a review on the Apple Podcast app can help us grow the audience and introduce some more unfortunate flames fans to the show so do it do it super easy just takes a second just tap on the show scroll down leave a rating slash review thanks so much for listening everybody we will see you on the next one